Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Men's Advocate Show with me, your host, Linda Gross. I am eager to tell you about today's show. Today's show is She Text a Few Words, Get Back in the Truck. I'm going to tell you in just a moment what that means and what it relates to if you don't know already, if you haven't been following this legal case. Before we jump into that, if you happen to have missed last week's show, we were talking about why women choose bad boys. So unlike men, women have hidden agendas for why they do what they do. Their selection with men and what it represents and what their end goal is when watching porn, we talked about that, and why women alienate the fathers of their children, and whether you can tell if your mate is going to cheat. This and more all on last week's show. You can uh, look up last week's show on demand from my mobile app, either in the iTunes or Google Play Store. Um, or you can, if you haven't downloaded my mobile app, you can also find us on TuneIn and SoundCloud. So get that done, do a little uh, catch-up, do a little binge uh, listening, and bring yourself up to date. All right, so for today's show, we're going to talk about this young girl who was 17 at the time. Her name is Michelle Carter, and she sent her Internet boyfriend text messages encouraging him to continue with his suicide. So Carter was then sentenced by the judge to 15 months in prison for involuntary manslaughter. Now, that outcome is pending final sentencing which uh, you know the the media and the prosecutors and the family of course want to bump it up to second degree murder which is what we're going to talk about today whether it warrants that so should she be put away just because of a text message her text message said get back in the truck in other words to complete his actions um, so today you're going to be joining my guest. Um, we're going to be on with attorney and friend to the show, Michael W. Brown, and we're going to discuss this case where it seems like everyone has an opinion. So we'll need you to call in. Our phone number is 951-922-3532. Again, that number is 951-922-3532. Okay. Hi, Michael. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Linda. Thank you so much for having me back. Absolutely. All right. So we're going to talk about some of the implications um, of this ruling, why the, the prosecutors and the family want to upgrade it. I know there's a lot of emotions that are flying, but as far as I know, <laughs> our legal system is not based on emotions. Um, do I agree with the emotions? Of course. You know, is everyone outraged? Of course. Should she have done what she did? Of course not. But I think the judge, uh, you know, to the letter of the law, he reviewed the case and he reviewed everything that was placed before him and he decided that it warranted manslaughter not a higher degree. So um, tell us a little bit about what you know about the case and why he might have had this ruling versus second degree. Well, Linda, it is interesting um, because generally most states, and I, I'll be the first to admit right now, I'm not admitted into the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, and so therefore I'm not admitted to practice bar, uh, law there or advise on Massachusetts law. But I can tell you, you know, from my years in the public defender's office, as well as my other studies, that murder is generally broken down into about three or four categories in each state. And the first being uh, pre murder in the first degree, which is premeditated murder, somebody who plans it out in advance and then seeks out and kills someone. And then there is second degree murder, which is generally murder that is maybe not necessarily planned, but arises in a particular situation such as while committing uh, an armed robbery or, um, you know, uh, some other type of uh, situation, a bar fight where it escalates. Uh, those are uh, natural uh, situations. And then you have third-degree murder, which is sometimes called manslaughter. And some states uh, break those into two 
different areas, voluntary manslaughter, as well as involuntary manslaughter. Now, voluntary manslaughter would be your typical situation of a crime of, in the heat of passion. A man or a spouse comes home and sees their other their spouse in bed with someone else and then kills them. Um, involuntary manslaughter is a situation where someone takes certain actions with such gross, reckless, and wanton disregard for the outcome of their actions that it is foreseeable that they could easily cause the death of someone else. So in this situation, um, I think from the facts that as I've read them in the trial transcript, and of course the trial transcript isn't uh, available, just what the snippets I've heard, uh, is that the judge found solid evidence to um, sentence her under an involuntary manslaughter as opposed to murder or even voluntary manslaughter. Right. Right. And let's talk, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that aspect as well. Um, oops, hold on just one second here. I think we're getting a caller. Hey, Jim, hold on just one second, please. We'll be right there. Jim, are you there? Yes. Is this any clearer? Uh, it's a little scratchy, but you're not driving around, are you? No, I'm in my car, but in a better location than before. Okay. All right. As long as you're not driving around, I think it'll work out okay. Welcome, Jim, to the show. Uh, you're calling from what city, please? You're calling from Florida, right? Yes, I live in uh, Hernando, Florida, um, Massachusetts native, New England uh, transplant down here. <laughs> awesome. And I hear that you still keep keep abreast of what's going on with Massachusetts uh activities of which this case is from Massachusetts. Right, I have many friends and family in Massachusetts. I still travel up there frequently and I'm a I keep tabs on what's going on in the old stomping grounds uh, through the media. Very good. You're on with my guest today, Michael W. Brown. Um, Jim, tell us your give us your two cents on the case. What do you think? Do you think the case should be upgraded? Do you think she should get a stronger sentence? Should it go to second degree murder instead of manslaughter? Well, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, my background is as a, a journalist and a professor, and so I, I'm not really. I don't think qualified to really speak on. You know the fine points of the law. I, I can only say what I've what I've read and uh, heard, and I can say you know on a personal level. I think I heard the introduction to your show, and I would definitely fit in with the people who are outraged by what she did. Yeah. Um, however, the you know I certainly wouldn't condone you know anyone trying to talk someone into uh, killing themselves. But on on the other hand. You know, at the end of the day, it was his decision. Um, he could have very easily just chosen not to uh, follow her her demands, you know. And so I'm not sure where that, that puts me. I, I still think that she uh, needs a lot of mental health help, uh, help counseling. And I'm not sure there's a, any kind of treatment that's going to change the kind of person she is. But, you know... Should she be in jail longer than that? No, I, I suppose not. But I, I do think that even long after she's uh, out, if she serves any time at all, um, I think she'll need uh, psychiatric care much longer than she'll be in prison. Absolutely. And let me speak to that. She was uh, suffering... Uh, I guess there was a psychiatrist who examined her after the murder. Um, she was suffering from her own mental health issues. Um, you know, she was uh, clinically depressed. She was suffering from bulimia and various other, uh, you know, areas uh, of uh, psychiatry that she was diagnosed with. So she herself was not in a clear state of mind. As for the victim, he had tried an unsuccessful attempt at suicide before. So this was not his first rodeo. And then in addition to this, uh, the 22 days leading up to the suicide, 
to the real suicide, she tried to talk him out of it. She tried to say, you know, you need uh, professional health help. You need to go to a mental health uh, hospital or institution. I mean, she tried to absolutely, during those 22 days, she tried to talk him out of it. So this wasn't the first, these were not the first words you know, out of her mouth, get back in the truck, you know, she did try to help him. She did try to be a good friend. And while we're at it, she's not a mental health professional herself. I mean, Michael, is is there a duty to, to talk somebody out of committing suicide? I mean, she's not trained for that. No, there is no legal duty to um, basically save someone. The, the Good Samaritan uh, laws that um, put an obligation on somebody to attempt to uh, save someone or stop them from harming themselves don't exist. Uh, I think one of the interesting aspects about this, as I understand the case, is that he did get out of his truck. He did text her telling her he was scared, uh, which showed some reservation about going forward with it. And it was at that time that she texted back to him, get back in the truck. Mm-hmm. Now, she's specifically instructing a person who has indicated they're not certain about committing suicide. And who knows how much carbon monoxide he may have inhaled at that time, whether or not he even had full faculties to make that decision. He could have been in such a lapsed state of consciousness that her instructions he felt he had to obey. Absolutely. All right. And, Jim, you wanted to bring up the First Amendment issue. I don't think that was relevant to the criminal case. Uh, the, the family, actually the mother of the victim, has since opened up a civil suit, Michael, if you're, if you're not aware mm-hmm. of this. And the attorney of the civil suit wants to enact First Amendment rights. What do you say to that? Is is this a good excuse to use? Is this a good platform to use, First Amendment? It's not a very strong argument. Um, Every constitutional right has its boundaries. For instance, you cannot yell fire in a crowded theater. You cannot libel or slander someone. You cannot use threatening uh, words such as, I'm going to kill you. Uh, So uh, the First Amendment right is not absolute. And in these types of situations, such as taunting or uh, instructing people to do things that uh, they may or may not have control over, is not necessarily protected by the First Amendment. Well, and I I would agree with with, uh, Michael in the sense that obviously there are exceptions to the, uh, you know, the First Amendment is not an absolute right, um, and the reason why, you know, I brought this uh, subject up when we were discussing it before the show, Linda, is because it, it wasn't only an issue that will likely be brought up in the civil trial, but in the coverage in the Boston Globe uh, dot com um, after the 15-month sentence was uh, announced. Uh, a columnist for the Globe actually brought, uh, wrote on the subject because the uh, the judge was prepared to have her start serving her sentence until her criminal lawyers raised the First Amendment as as an issue in this case. And after they raised that issue in the courtroom, that is when the judge said she'll be free until her appeal is heard. And in the same uh, column, which I, I read a, a couple of weeks ago, they indicated that the whole focus of the article was that the First Amendment may be her ticket to freedom because there are several layers of, of courts in Massachusetts that could hear this case. However, the Supreme Judicial Court has expressed um, interest in the case, and they could take the case away from the lower courts and rule on it, and the they do not uh, really get involved in murder trials, but a First Amendment case, if they feel it has patience on the First Amendment, they could easily uh, uh, make that decision, and it may affect whether she gets any jail time or not at all. So uh, whether that happens or not, I don't know, but it, it was something that was brought up 
at the end of this uh, trial, and I'm not surprised that the civil uh, case would bring it up as well, but it, it, it is part of the case. What you should also know, too, is that um, while you can go up the state court route, and even if at the highest court in, in the state, if they rule that she did have a First Amendment right, uh, the uh, state prosecutors uh, have the right to appeal to the federal court and then run it up the, uh, the federal chain from the district court to the Court of Appeals to the U.S. Supreme Court if they feel that strongly. And likewise, if she loses at the highest court, she too has the right to appeal to the federal courts uh, for a violation of the, the federal constitution. Uh, either way, um, this decision could be protracted for a very long time. And I will tell you that it is not uncommon when there are sound appellate uh, reasons to appeal a case for a, a court to not in prison and to release uh, someone who's convicted of involuntary manslaughter. You'll see that a lot in, for instance, drunk driving cases. They won't keep them in prison pending an appeal. So I, I'm not so shocked by the fact that she is out uh, pending the appeal. Right. And that doesn't mean that that's the final decision. It just means that... Correct. You know that that is the temporary order that the uh, that the judge decreed, right? Correct, and that can be overturned too. Right. Okay. I think we have a, another caller on the line. Uh, let's welcome Jay from Norwalk, California. Welcome, Jay, to the show. Jay, are you there? Hey guys, do you have a nagging problem that you just can't get a handle on? Now you can talk to an expert coach right in the privacy of your own home. Meet in person, over the phone, or with a free Skype call anywhere in the world. Linda is here to make it easy for you. Linda Gross has done years of academic research combined with interviewing over 20,000 men. Linda's expert advice gets you through tackling relationship issues, business goals, conflict resolution, and removing lifetime roadblocks that have kept you back. Usually handled in four sessions or less realize the benefits now go to the men's advocate page slash coaching and you'll be on your way that's the men's slash coaching you've heard her on the men's advocate show with linda gross how can you help further from her facebook fan page of the same name hit the shop now button and save this link to your favorites make all your usual amazon purchases and some of the revenue will support her show at no additional cost to you no book purchase required just start with this link every time the men's advocate show with linda gross thanks you the men's advocate show with linda gross we will be discussing men's issues dating relationships sex women fitness health business men's hobbies men's rights and more she will be talking about excerpts from her men's book mastering women too google kmet advocate and save to your favorites every wednesday at 3 p.m pacific time we proudly rejoin our programming with the men's advocate show with your host linda gross on KMET, 1490 AM, Smart Talk. Welcome back, everybody. You're currently listening to the Men's Advocate Show with me, your host, Linda Gross. We are talking about Get Back in the Truck. Those, that fateful text that the 17-year-old girl Michelle Carter sent to her then-internet boyfriend uh, via text message um, for him to continue with his suicide. What he was doing is he, was, uh, he got a generator and a hose, and he was going to create carbon monoxide inside the vehicle. And at one point, he steps out of the vehicle, and I guess she must have been so frustrated with him over listening to him over months and months and months about how he's going to you know, do himself off. And either she just wasn't mentally strong or she just got tired of hearing it or she was a 17-year-old spoiled teenager and she said, get back in the truck. This is what, what is best for you. This is what you've said you've wanted all these many months. So that 
<laughs> those few words are have gotten her into a lot of trouble. So the prosecutors and the family and the public are outraged. Of course, her actions are horrendous. But you know what? She's within her legal rights. She doesn't have to, you know, unlike France that we learned in the um, – a good Samaritan case in France from the Princess Diana trial that there is no duty for the public to go for help or talk him out of the suicide nor is she qualified to do such things you know all of these issues come into play so that's what we're talking about today call in on this topic I know you have an opinion 951-922-3532 again that number is 951 951- Nine two two, thirty five thirty two. Let's bring on Frank from Montreal, Canada. Welcome, Frank, to the show. Hello, Linda. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Thanks for calling in. So, do you this say thumbs really... up or thumbs down? Should she get more more jail time? Should should this be kicked up to the uh, second degree mur- murder or not? I honestly don't know enough about the law to know what she should be charged with. Okay, I want to state that right away. Yeah. I do think that 15 months, it, to me, feels like a light sentence. I, Michael, what do you what do you say to that with regard to other involuntary manslaughter cases? You know, sometimes we compare this to what's called vehicular manslaughter, which means you had no intention of killing the person in the intersect, intersection. You were drunk. You stupidly got in your car. You didn't have your faculties. And unfortunately, the person in the intersection died. You didn't plan on it going down that way, but that's what happened. So to answer Frank's question, Michael, do you think that 15 months is too short of a period for involuntary manslaughter? Um, well, it will always depend on on the facts of the case. Um, you know, obviously, in the situation of a drunk driver, uh, questions about first offense, uh, remorse, um, how they responded right after the incident, all these things uh, go into play into a judge's mind as to uh, whether to impose a maximum or the minimum uh, sentence for a particular crime. Here we have a situation where we do have someone who's a minor, um, someone who has their own mental challenges. But then again, we also have someone who intentionally instructs somebody to go back and uh, complete their suicide, um, which seems very harsh. Um, I do not believe that the sentence is too harsh. Uh, I would tend to agree with our caller that uh, in my humble opinion, it's probably uh, a little light, especially being a case of first impression, uh, meaning this is sort of going to set the standard and expectation for others throughout the country. Yeah, that's that's my worry. It's a very complicated case, much more complicated than it appears on the surface. And if the ruling is wrong, it might set a precedent for others who come after this case, meaning that people who are who should be innocent or should be accused of a lesser degree, I don't want them to face a higher decree degree because of you know emotions. So I mean, if we have to change the law, I'm okay with that. I mean, if we have to change the wording of what constitutes second degree murder, I'm thoroughly okay with that. But to just base the case on emotion, even though she doesn't fit the description, I don't know. I think that's wrong. I often have to ask the question whenever I'm faced with this type of dilemma. Yes. What kind of a world do I want to live in? (laughs) That's a good question. Okay. What kind of a world do I want to live in? Do I want to live in a world where people who are in a position at least to discourage someone from doing some form of self-harming will actually be mindful and discourage them? Or do I want to live in a world where people can pray 
on someone who may not be in a position to make the best decision for themselves and to encourage them to self-harm. That's what it comes down to me. What kind of a world do I want to live in? Because I've seen all kinds of comments on this. Well, the guy was already suicidal. Well, the guy was already struggling with mental illness. He would have killed himself anyway. Maybe he would have. We don't know. We're never mm -hmm. going to get the chance to find out. And if he was weak, uh, I don't personally believe that, uh, but if he was weaker, if he was in a moment where he was compromised, is it really okay to take advantage of someone who may not be fully aware of their position? I'd rather live in a world where we say, no, that's not okay. And whether this sentence was too much or too light, personally, I do feel it was too light. But even if it is, at least a message, a statement has been made. When someone is in distress, if someone is uh, in a position where they cannot look out for themselves, the message is you don't encourage them to be self-harming. You don't abuse them in that way. And if nothing else, it's getting everybody to talk about it. And that's a good thing. I think that's Can a good I ask thing. You, yeah. Uh, I'd like to ask the caller whether or not uh, he believes uh, the sentence would have been harsher if it was the roles were reversed and it was a boy encouraging his girlfriend and his girlfriend committed suicide. Do you think there's a gender bias? It's possible. Like I said, I don't know. Um, I don't know enough to give a concrete answer. However, if I look in a different area of law, where sometimes it's the male teacher involving himself with female students, and then if there's a female teacher involving herself with male students, uh, is it possible that there's a gender bias in the law? It seems that it is possible. I don't know if that is why this uh, Ms. Carter got a lighter sentence. I can't make a direct correlation. I don't have that stat. Is it, is it possible? Sure, it's possible. I still think, though, that they were right to say that she was guilty of it. Whether or not it was the right sentence, I don't think it was. Because when someone is in that state of mind, when someone is, has the suicide mind, you don't encourage somebody to further that. And I think that's the biggest difference between vehicular manslaughter and this case. Because when someone is drunk, getting behind the wheel, making a mistake, their intent is not to kill. Right. They got into an accident. Uh, if their intent is to kill, that would be uh, grounds for uh, murder, correct? Now, you could yes. be convicted of murder. If, if I get behind the wheel and my intent is to run somebody over, I would be convicted of murder. The whole point of manslaughter is you didn't intend it. Well, what was she intending when the guy got out of the car and she says, go back in there and kill yourself? You can't tell me that she didn't intend for something bad to happen. Because if her intent was not to let something bad happen, she would have said, don't go back in the car. I, I'm not buying that as a, as a defense whatsoever. Got it. So, you know, I'm also thinking, you know, did she sort of have a Kevorkian mentality? You know, the Dr. Kevorkian for many years, you know, helped, did uh, suicide assist with patients who were terminally ill. They were in a great deal of pain. It was against the law, but he actually thought he was doing these patients a favor. So I'm trying to think, what was her state of mind? Was she pulling a Kevorkian, perhaps, that she actually was trying to take him out of his misery? Like that? If she had it, well, here's, okay, I can only offer an opinion. I don't know what her state of mind is. However, if her goal was to help him achieve peace, wouldn't she have been forefront about that? Wouldn't she have said, hey, I was helping him find peace because it was the only way he was ever going to find it? No, she says she didn't really expect him to do it. She says, I really didn't intend it. I w and wasn't there a statement they have on record that she was looking to experience being the, the grieving girlfriend? 
that does not sound like someone who had his best interest in mind. Yeah. I know our moral uh, constitution has dropped over the decades. It used to be people did the right thing, not because they were asked to do the right thing or because the law said you had to do the right thing, but it seems like this area has just eroded to almost nothing. I can't tell you the number of times now I'm in an intersection and people will not yield when there's a screaming ambulance coming down the road. They just, you know, I, I guess the motorist thinks that their time is more valuable than the ambulance. You know, I mean, it's it's really, you're going to like lose three seconds out of your life? Pull over. Slow down and pull over. I see people making a left-hand turn and running the red light and doing everything they can but to pull over for the ambulance. And in it's that case, a- wouldn't it make sense to enforce laws that say, hey, if you don't get out of the way of that ambulance, uh, you should be penalized in some way. Again, it always comes back to that question for me. What kind of a society do I want to live in? Do I want to live in a society where, at the very least, if people don't want to help, they shouldn't hinder? And if a judgment like this makes people more mindful that you don't want to help the guy, fine, don't help the guy, but at least don't hinder him. Because if we say that, hey, this is okay, and she can say what she wants, and she has no obligation... Isn't there another case of the news right now about somebody drowning and a bunch of people videotaping it and laughing and having a good time, but nobody made an effort to say? That's what it becomes. And eventually, we all age, we all get sick, we all reach that moment of vulnerability. When it's your turn to be in that position, when it's your turn to be in that ambulance, what would you want someone else to do? The best way to change so, that society is to be the example you want to see. So do we have to go so far as to change the law? Do we need to become the next France where we have to write the Good Samaritan uh, tactics in into the law that, you, that says you have to go for help or you have to call 911? You know, a lawyer once told me that the more laws you create, the more criminals you create. <laughs> That's an unfortunate... That's an unfortunate reality, because when you create a law, you're now designating a number of people as lawbreakers when they do that. However, if you have a society that you want to take care of itself, sometimes some things that are common courtesy for some people need to be a law for others. There's no such thing as common sense. Common sense for one person might be, hey, you see somebody who's disabled or elderly, and you can see they're, having, they're struggling to stand up. Common courtesy, common sense says, give up your seat for that person. But if not enough people have common sense, the law can be a wonderful educator. Absolutely. Well, I can tell you that uh, one of our founding fathers, and I forget who, uh, once said that <clears throat> you can tell the morality of a society by the number of laws more laws you have to have, the less moral they are. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Uh, There's also a saying, and and correct me if I get the wording wrong, uh, you can judge a person's character by the way they treat people who are the weakest and have the least amount to offer them. That's very true. The laws that are there to protect people who are weaker, who are struggling... They're not there to give people preferential treatment. They're there to remind us that you don't harm other people just because you can. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Frank. Very good points. I'm going to move on to our next caller. We have Hi calling in from Norwalk, California. Uh, Join us, Hi. Thanks for calling the show. Thank you, Linda. Pleasure to be on the show today. Awesome. So where do you stand on this issue? Tougher sentencing or the judge ruled correctly? Um, I think she definitely should have had a stronger sentence. Um, Based primarily off of the point that the previous caller had made. And even if you took 
the majority of his points away the fact that she, her real reason for doing it was because, can you hear me okay? Yes. Her try not, try not to move around, but yes. Her real reason for doing it was because... Uh-oh. <laughs> Gosh, we got right to the cliffhanger. Okay, uh, hi, please call back. We'll we'll have to hear what you have to say. Okay, yeah, so, uh, you know, I know in law, Michael, a lot of times we talk about the word intent, um, you know, and that's how you prove your point as to what level this should be at. I really don't think she intended to kill him. Um, you know, did she kill him? Yes. You know, that's manslaughter. But did she intend to kill him? What do you say to that? Well, it depends on what the intent is. Uh, the, uh, the question is, is, did you intend your, act, intend your actions? And is it reasonable or do you have substantial cer- certainty that your actions are going to cause a certain result? Mm-hmm. So maybe she didn't intend by saying those words okay. to kill him. But I think one of the reasons why so many people are outraged is, is they all see that there was a substantial certainty that by saying those words, he would complete his suicide. Mm-hmm. And she did intend to say those words. Yes, she did. In fact, just before he got back in the truck or whatever it was, he he said that he was concerned about his family and the well-being of his family and how are they going to take the suicide. And he said, you know, if I go through with this, I was reading the, 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 uh, what do you call it, the transcript of all the texting back and forth. And anyway, he says, if I go through with this, I'm very concerned that my family is just going to be, you know, nut jobs out there. And she says, no, no. She says, I'm going to stand by your side. I'm going to stand by your family. I'm going to tell them your position on how you're doing it, why you're doing it, what your mental outlook is, et cetera, et cetera. So... She was saying that she was trying to carry out his final wish, what, which was, can you please stand by my family if I go through with this? Very difficult. Very difficult things. Now, another benchmark they use in law is, it, it came up with some of the paperwork I was reading, is did these words, by saying, get back in the truck, did they, was she intending a threat are are those words used as a threat? To me, threat means get back in the truck or else I'm going to push you back into the truck. If she pushed him back in the truck, that that would be second-degree murder because it was at her own hand. But just the, that text in and of itself, is that a threat? Is that how they're wanting to interpret this? Mm-hmm. The prosecution, I, I'm saying. That's yes. Wow. All right. That's that's serious I mean, stuff. They're basically holding her responsible for her actions under the theory that a reasonable person of her age would likely know that by making those statements, somebody would, in fact, continue on with their suicide. Okay. Oh, I think we have Hi back. Welcome back, Hi. We got almost to your point. If you're with us, uh, please go ahead. Okay, uh, I'm I'm here this time for sure. Um, <laughs> no, I think I think what her biggest problem is is the fact that at 17 years old, uh, you know the consequences, or you understand the concept of life and death. Um, you're not just you understand the power of words. You understand the power of consequences. And that she could be so flippant towards those things and encourage somebody who did need help uh, to go through with his suicide shows a lot about her character. And for the judge to say 15 months of jail time and five years of probation says a lot about the judge's character also because it's, he's basically encouraging that kind of sociopathic behavior. 
where you're think, where you're saying it's totally okay to push a person to their death, to goad a person to their death, and then you'll receive a very a minimum sentence. And I know previous callers had mentioned that um, he was in a moment of weakness, uh, and he was. And I know a previous caller, one of the earlier callers, had said that, oh, well, would he have done it? Um, you know, he, the final decision was up to him. But once he gets out of that truck and he's at the point where he doesn't want to stand on that cliff anymore, he wants to walk away. He wants to, he wants to live. The fear of death says, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to go through this anymore. I've had enough. And for her to turn him around and push him back towards that ledge, that's her doing exactly what the previous caller said. That's her taking advantage of a person in a moment of weakness. And for her to do it for no other reason than for her to be the grieving girlfriend is terrible. It makes her a terrible person. It makes the judge a terrible person. And it reflects just as poorly on us as a society that anybody would even condone that kind of behavior. Yeah, like what she did leading up to the case, I'm on her side, but the part that is just horrible, horrible behavior is what she did after the suicide happened. After, uh, I heard reports, I didn't see this in, in my notes as I was reading them, but I heard reports that she was gloating perhaps to the social media that, mm-hmm. you know, here I am, I'm the uh, gloating girlfriend or look what happened on my watch kind of thing. Uh, those aren't her exact words, I'm just paraphrasing. But anyway, she was, I guess, gloating to the point where the judge said, you're not allowed to go on social media during this appeals process. Um, yeah, so what was that about? I, I mean, and I agree with you. And I even understand it from today's idiotic teen mindset where you have to tell everybody every aspect of your life and your business regarding how personal it is, as I have teenagers of my own. But for her to not understand there are certain things that you just don't do, not even just the the whole concept of bragging about oh well you know this happened on my watch well that makes you a terrible if that were a prison guard she'd be no better than the guards who let the prisoners go for uh, a quick romp in the hay that that makes her a ter- that makes her terrible at her job yeah exactly yeah. no i'm you with know, you it, what she did was absolutely reprehensible um there's no excuse for it at all And I vehemently stand by the fact that she got very, very lucky that she had a judge who, for whatever reason, thought that 15 months in prison and five years of probation. And we all know with good behavior, the likelihood that she'll serve five years of probation is very, very slim. And if the prisons in Massachusetts are anything like the prisons in California, she won't. They're overcrowded, so she won't be in there for very long either. Mm hmm. And it's it's a maddening atrocity. Uh, I know one of the previous callers had said uh, if the roles were reversed and it was a guy who had goaded a, a woman into doing it, uh, the sentence would have been much harsher. And there's no doubt in any sane person's mind that that's exactly what would have happened. Um, it's uh, maddening. I, I'm literally to the point where I can't even form a coherent sentence because I'm just so frustrated and furious over the events and the outcome thereof. Well, can I ask the caller, um, how would you suggest that the law be changed to avoid this in the future? It's, I believe that it's, if you do something like this, if they can give Charles Manson life for something like this, there's no reason why she can't. Um, but there has to be some kind of a standard where the purpose of a punishment, whether it's penal or, or physical or however, is to deter future occurrences of that happening. So there has to be some kind of standard that says, okay, if you goad someone onto their death, this is the kind of thing that's going to happen to you. And there has to be follow. And the reason why there has to be a standard is because then it eliminates any kind of gender inequality. 
it eliminated, oh, well, she was very pretty or this. Oh, well, he had a very promising future in swimming. No, it eliminates all of that because if you do this, this is the minimum that is going to happen to you. And are you prepared to pay that price? Because if you're willing to, to goad someone into taking their life, then you don't deserve freedom. You don't. You are a monster. You have no business on the street. None at all. I don't want you serving me coffee. I don't want you serving my kids burgers at McDonald's. And I don't want you to somehow have a reformation of character and end up, you know, saving my life. I don't want you near me because you have already shown that your sense of morality is so skewed that you're willing to sacrifice a person's life so that you can have 10 minutes of fame. She's 17 years old. She's gonna, she'll be graduating high school this year. And she'll be remembered eternally as that girl who sent that boy to his death. 20 years from now, when at her high school reunion, they'll remember, hey, did you hear about her? Yeah, she's, she's free as a bird. Yeah, she should still be in prison 20 years from now. She should be a footnote is what she should be. And as my fan Sherwin said, she's not even going to be able to get a job at McDonald's after this. Like a low-paying, you know, minimum wage job. Like who's going to hire her? She's pretty much sealed her fate for the rest of her her life, whether she gets a prison sentence or not. And that's fine that in that way she's condemned. I mean, she's basically condemned herself. But there's always going to be one somebody who says, ah, we'll give you a chance. She does not deserve a chance from anybody for any reason at all. Certain people do not deserve second chances, and she is one of those people. Yeah, I think a lot has changed, you know, over the years uh, since our founding fathers wrote these laws. And because of the Internet, I think there is some updating that needs to happen. Definitely. I mean, the people that were uh, filming the boys who were drowning. I mean, what is that? You want to get it on your you want to get that video on your social media, but you don't want to help the person. There's definitely something wrong going on here. I know one of the and that's actually a, an age-old um, uh, question. Is it's been primarily focused on uh, journalists who used to film things such as people who would set themselves on fire, and there were actually lawsuits against uh, certain publications because the reporter would sit and watch this person commit suicide and burn themselves up and not do anything to stop it. Now, the courts since then, which is pretty much in the late 50s, early 60s, have uh, consistently held that there is no obligation to help. Hmm. Well, there might not be an obligation to help. What kind of a person does that make you? If you see a person on fire and you do absolute and you're more concerned with making sure you get the shot than making sure that person goes home, you're a monster. You're a monster. You might not be responsible for that person's life, but just for your own sense, like how do you sleep at night? For your own sense of morality, if you watch somebody, if you watch those kids that watch that guy drown, yeah, I get it. You know, you're going to get a lot of clicks on your and likes on your Facebook and YouTube and Twitter, but you're still a monster. You are a monster. Absolutely. So because uh, the the first judge couldn't upgrade this from manslaughter, would you say it would be more fair to maybe increase the uh, sentence? Maybe 15, minute, 15 months is not enough. Maybe the number should be, I don't know, five years or 10 years or whatever, but still have the manslaughter charge. She should definitely still have the manslaughter charge. Um, that goes without yeah. saying. But her sentence should definitely be significantly higher than what it currently is. There's no reason for it to be 15 months for murder. Oh, well, I didn't yeah. do it. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I mean, my personal opinion is that uh, I thought the 30 months was appropriate. I did not agree with suspending the last 15 months. They said that they were going to use that time to uh, go to a mental ward or have be under psychiatric care. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. That, just my personal opinion. She's still, you know, the guardian of the state. She's still under their watch, but it's just not in, in a prison cell. 
attention. And not yeah. only that, I know uh, earlier, Linda, you had mentioned that she was already, she was also suffering from uh, bulimia and other things. To yes. me, I view those as uh, excuses for poor behavior. Oh, well, I was suffering from bulimia. Okay, well, go eat a sandwich, throw it up, and then, you know, <laughs> and, and then move on with your day. But that doesn't mean just because you've got problems keeping food down doesn't mean that you should tell me to get back in the truck when I'm saying, you know, maybe suicide wasn't such a good idea. That right. If you're depressed, well, you know, go have a Coke and a smile, but don't condemn me to, to death because you're not sure what you want to do. That's unreasonable. Right. Hi, thank you so much for calling the show. Very good points all, so I really appreciate it. Call back again, will you? Thank you, Linda. I certainly will. Okay, glad to have you here. Michael, just really quickly, and we've got about 30 seconds or so, I wanted to ask you, why did her attorney select a judicial ruling rather than a jury trial? You know, I think a jury trial, you need unanimous, right? So one person gladly could have voted, you know, not guilty or whatever. Why did why did they waive those rights? My personal opinion is they felt that she would not make a sympathetic witness and that the jurors would be too swayed by their emotional outrage to look at this from a, a logical application of the law. And they felt that the judge would be able to uh, distance his own emotions better than a, a, a jury. Gotcha. Thank you, Michael J- Michael W. Brown, for being on the show. Catch him on my Facebook page. The links will be there. Thank you for joining the Men's Advocate Show. We'll see you next week, Wednesday, 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Bye, everybody. Bye.